We return to our interview series and we have a lot of new additions to the 25th anniversary team and a huge name of the Atlantic League. You don't want to miss this week's episode of the Indie Power Report podcast. We're back again. Episode number 214 of the Indie Power Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we have a huge retirement some new additions to the 25th anniversary team, some new additions to the American Association and the Atlantic League as a whole. There's a lot going on this week. We've been fighting technical issues for pretty much the whole week, going back to when we recorded our interview this week, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, it's with Kevin Tuve of the New York Boulders, for those that are wondering. I won't keep you in suspense. And now I will let Will talk because I just cut him off right as he was about to start talking. So that was uh, weird. It is all good. But yeah, it's a pretty um, news-filled week, at least on, on a roster front, I guess, I guess as well. And, you know, we're getting, I mean, what are, what are we now? I guess two weeks away from the Atlantic League preview? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think two, two weeks. weeks away from the preview and the start of the season for them. Yeah. Yeah. So we we are getting we are getting ever ever closer. With ninety degrees outside, it feels like baseball weather. And I just gotta say, it's ninety one in New Jersey in April. This planet is cooked. The vibes are immaculate. That's where we're at. I, I love it. I I, lo- I love good vibes on a, on a weekend for sure. Absolutely. So I guess we'll kick it off with the Frontier League, and that is with big news that came out on Saturday right after we released i believe it was saturday maybe sunday but i believe it was saturday and um and that this one hits close to home uh, apparently trey cochran gill the law firm as he's known around here has retired from baseball the 2021 frontier league mvp or all-star rather not mvp but he was the mvp of this show no no doubt about that and uh, he is the tri-city valley cats franchise leader in saves all time only 38 but i mean gotta keep in mind they were affiliated for a long time so guys really weren't kicking around to rack up stats of course he finishes everything 89 k's 40 walks in 108 and a third innings only 25 earned runs and 99 hits allowed in his tenure with the valley cats his tenure in independent ball um a titan of the game, in my opinion, lost. I, th- this honestly ruined my weekend seeing it. I mean, how how could it not? I mean, he's uh, a a legend. Uh, but I think that uh, I think ultimately, though, like uh, he had a, he had a great career, and not even just uh, not even just an indie ball, like um, you know, a guy who was able to get up to AAA as well. Uh, in as far as the as far as affiliated ball is concerned, and uh, you know, a guy that was one of the one of the best reliever, one of the best relievers, maybe not maybe the best reliever, the best closer in the Frontier League over the last over the last two years with Tri City. So I mean, he <clears throat> he had a really good tenure. Yeah, con- congrats on his retirement, and best of luck to whatever's next. But the the law firm will will always live on. That's for sure. He will. He'll always have a place on this show. He'll always have a place in the hearts. You know, he may be number fourteen in your programs, but he's number one in your heart. Uh, that's that's the only way to really put ours. it. Yeah, ours and, and all of our hearts, really. And it's in the heart and soul of independent league baseball, and in the heart and soul of really baseball, and by extension, America as a whole. But exactly, I think an, an American hero. Exactly. And what's a real tragedy is, I. I'm supposed to be getting the Tri-City jersey I ordered in 
like within the next couple of weeks. And I did wind up getting the Cochrane Gill jersey. I think it says Law oh, Firm nice. on the back. So I forget if I went Cochrane Gill or I went Law Firm. So now it's kind of like, Trey, I really wish you would have played one more season, man. <laughs> it would be a lot yeah. cooler. And I would have liked to, you know, been like, hey, why don't you come on the show and can you sign this for me? <laughs> amazing you're on you're on like the the list of players that for whatever random reason we just stand on this show peyton gray was like the first one to get that treatment peyton gray that that pandemic peyton gray pandemic peyton gray is just like on another planet i don't know how we did it like 30 plus scoreless innings and then of course his first postseason inning home run yeah (laughs) it's just like okay well still won yeah still won the ship that's all that matters in the end him and then exactly. Anthony Giansanti. He was like the original, like, Stan True. Anthony Giansanti. He's still going strong, though. Not an independent ball in Mexico, so good for him, but Sugarland captain. captain. Sugarland captain and, and making a lot more money now. Definitely there. So felt like it was very important to lead off the show with Trey Cochran Gill and his retirement from baseball. It's very, it's a very sad day. It's a dark day for baseball. But, it's a dark day and, uh, America will America will bounce back like it always does. It, it definitely will, or hopefully it will. I don't know if we ever could possibly recover from this. It never faced never faced adversity like this. So it's, it's, it's an un, it's it's unprecedented. Yes. But, uh, in seriousness, though, we will shift to uh, the next bit. This is just your standard stadium naming rights deal. We have a stadium open, so we're gonna reopen the GoFundMe to try and get Indie Ball Report Stadium uh, constructed here or at least yeah. the naming rights here, because the Gateway Grizzlies have ended their stadium naming rights agreement with uh, GCS Credit Union. That's been the way for 22 years. They've had this partnership. It has ended here. It's shifted now to more of uh, GCU sponsoring other things in the ballpark. So there is still a working relationship between the two, but not on the stadium level. The ballpark, it will be known as Grizzlies Ballpark. And I imagine if you want to buy the naming rights for it, you could contact the Grizzlies and they could set something up here. I'm really thinking that uh, we need to start a GoFundMe for at least one year to name this ballpark something ridiculous. Oh, I know. I It'd probably be a lot of money, but fun to think about, though. This is why I need to have obscene amounts of money to do stupid things like this. Like, exactly. you know what I would call? I would call this ballpark something like, you know, the... The kingdom of independent league baseball at Gateway. Yeah, you see, you see Nick, the, the people say that money can't buy happiness, but I think in this case they're dead wrong. Oh, Those absolutely, are dead wrong because money absolutely can buy happiness in this case. Exactly, like you don't you don't understand how much I want this thing to be called like the gateway to major league baseball. <laughs> Or, exactly. some, or some stupid exactly. ass thing like that. Like we could absolutely, but yeah, you're hundred percent right. Money could buy this kind of happiness here. That or better yet, we'll just come up with like something even dumber, like ballpark McBallpark face. Ballpark McBallpark face. Yeah, like imagine that. Unreal. Where did Welcome to Ballpark McBallpark face, home of the Gateway Grizzlies. Yeah, so that's the situation there. Uh ridiculous names aside, if you actually do want to name uh this ballpark, you can for the right price. Uh, just nothing really to say. Names of ballpark really don't affect anything, but it was worthy of uh, mention because it was a quick thing to mention. So, And we're going to talk about Matt Yeisel because he has been added 
to the American Association's media front. He's essentially filling the Carterwood deal role. So Carter last year, if you're familiar, was pretty much the face of the American Association on social media. He was their supposed insider, which in other words means he was the dude that was paid to do the whip arounds and tweet a lot about the league and do all that kind of stuff. Really good at his job. Wound up moving on to the Kansas City Monarchs, so less of a league approach, more of a team approach for him. But Yaisel here will just kind of fill that role that was now vacated. He's going to be in charge of the whip rounds, other content online, you know, that general thing. Like I said, pretty much the same thing Carter did. A uh, little bit about Yaisel. He was at Marquette University, did the men's basketball game coverage. Yeah, so that's his role. That's what he does. Uh, I'm not sure if we have any other comments on it, but yeah, Matt Yeisel. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it also it also helps that, you know, if it's familiar with indie ball in the sense that you uh, you, you, sir, you worked with Boise last year of, of the Pioneer League. So, I mean, congrats to him. And I'm certainly... Uh, certainly not a whole lot to add, add now, but certainly as that as that content starts to get churned out as we get closer to the American Association opening day and uh, and throughout the season, I certainly get to hear his voice, see his face a lot more. Absolutely, there and so, you know, he went the Will Thompson route of doing basketball before going into independent ball here, but I think you do yeah. it better. I do, I don't know. It's, it's uh, I, one thing he one thing he certainly has on me is that. Uh, Mar- Marquette like made an NCAA tournament and you know Hofstra never did which makes me sad because I thought they were going to but such is life for mid-majors counterpoint though he had to live out in like where the hell Marquette is like Wisconsin I would still consider like Long Island better than Wisconsin though I would agree so I mean like that's the, that's the flip side of it really when you get down to it you got to live in civilization he got to live in an outpost so that's that's a fair point. I mean, that that's something you really have to consider. And I don't think we should really be, you know, underrating how valuable that is. It, it is very nice. I will. I will say the uh, I don't know if I would ever live on Long Island for now just because of how, you know, it's, it's, it's very Long expensive Island. to live out there. Yeah. And like there's things about Long Island that are not great. But I mean, the the proximity uh is going to be the proximity to like everything is is pretty awesome i will say exactly and the best part is you're not yep. in the middle of like dairy country that's true i mean like that that's a plus in of itself so big time with that and enough of the midwest slander for now because we will come back to that later on but we go to the atlantic league we go to the last bit of news before we get to our interview of the week that is, we have three players added to the 25th anniversary team, and then we have a huge addition to the Ducks. But let's get to the 25th anniversary team first. Uh, we got three guys this week. They hit us back-to-back-to-back days, and I imagine they're probably going to put one out once we're done recording here today, too. But we'll talk about whoever that is then on the next show. Uh, Bryant Nelson was the 13th player added to the list. The Atlantic League's hit king with 1,013 hits. Uh, he is also the at-bat king. He is also the singles king. He is third in total bases, fourth in RBIs. He is also fourth in doubles, seventh in runs and extra base hits, a three-time champion in back-to-back-to-back years. Uh, he is a four-time all-star, two-time postseason all-star, 1,000-plus games played, and has 
a 10-year-long career, essentially, playing for the Ducks, the Bluefish, the River Sharks, and the Revs, as well as the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs as well, who I forgot to mention in the notes, but I do recall him being there as well. So truly a Mr. Atlantic League type of individual here. Uh, he checks just about every boxes from both team accomplishment to individual accomplishment to longevity to, you know, having meaningful success outside of the Atlantic League as well. Uh, the guy is, you know, the tailor-made for this list. Yeah, I mean, Brian Nelson is, when you think of, like, the Atlantic League in, like, a historical sense, and, uh, I mean, Brian Nelson is near the top of that list. And uh, so he was a, a complete no-brainer. It was not really, he was going to, um, he was going to appear on this list. And just, like, all of the, the offensive accolades to go with the fact that he was a shortstop just made him that much more valuable. Um, and, you know, he, he played with, he, he played really all around the league, as you mentioned, Nick, but uh, hitting uh, over a thousand hits. I mean, in the Atlantic league is really, that is really hard to do. Um, and something that a list that a list of guys that, that, I mean, that's not a very, that's not a very big list of yeah. guys who have, have over a thousand hits. Uh, in the Atlantic League or or any independent league for that matter. So yeah, Nelson, no doubt. So no doubt about it. Brian Nelson uh, on this list and an easy easy choice. Absolutely, the guy, like you said, if there was a Hall of Fame, he would be on there. This is about the closest we're gonna get to a Hall of Fame, I guess. And uh, he is. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, so he is. He's by far the quintessential guy here. Although I always think of him as a duck, even though he's really more. You know, I suppose more of like a Bridgeport guy who really has no set team because he played for so many different ones. But I always think of him in Long Island, right? Probably, yeah. I, I would I would say so. And not to mention like those, uh, you know, it also helps when, you know, Long Island's like always playing in the playoffs. Yeah, know, that's uh, true. So I, I, think that, I think that also helps helps with that too. But yeah, I'd, I'd think of him more of a, more as a duck than I think any other. But although you can make an argument for others too. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we go to the other two guys now, though, because we got to keep it moving. Uh, Dwayne Pollock is the 14th member of this team. He only played two years in the Atlantic League, but he was pitcher of the year in both of those years, 2012 and 2013. Uh, he played for the Lancaster Barnstormers, two-time postseason All-Star. He finished with 32 wins to six losses. Obviously, wins and losses, more of a team stat than a pitcher stat, but still... A 2.63 ERA, 237 strikeouts, 66 walks, and 317 and two-thirds innings. He was also just a one-time all-star as well. So it's he's an interesting one because pitcher of the year in back-to-back yeah. years is definitely worthy of it. But he only played two years. So like the stats aren't as gaudy and eye-dropping as some other guys may be on this list or may even miss this list, but those two pitcher of the year awards are essentially what put them on this list. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting, you know, debate to have as far as like longevity. Cause like, let's compare, if you want to compare it to like some other guys, some other starting pitchers that have been named on this list that are, I guess the opposite of, of Pollock too, like for like a guy like Tim Kane, for yeah. example, um, and who were the, the numbers aren't necessarily like, eye popping but the longevity is certainly there and he mm. pitched for a long time pitched in a lot of big games and dominance for for a short amount of time um i i think it's it's interesting and whether and i don't think you'd be wrong to argue one way or the other when it comes to this list 
I guess having representatives of both on this list were bound to happen, but I think Pollock is definitely the most extreme example I think we've had so far of a uh, of of a guy, or maybe maybe extreme is the wrong word, but just the 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 best example of a guy that like wow, like he was unbelievably dominant, uh, and for for two seasons, and that was enough to uh, to to put him on to put him on this list. So like I, I don't know, I mean it's. It's an interesting it's an interesting discussion to be had. I would I would say he probably I would I would say he is deserving based on the I mean the amount of guys that have won multiple pitchers of the year pitcher of the year awards it's not a long list, uh, and and the guys that did are you would argue are certainly in it like Daryl Thompson like I I don't know if he's technically eligible for this I don't know what the criteria is as far as. Are like you? Do you have to be retired to be on this? I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I think that you know. Like, yeah, because like I, this Lou Ford and I mean Lou Ford and Daryl Thompson obviously like they have to be, be on this list. Yeah, but are but they're still playing technically. I don't know. Regardless, like they got to be on the list. You can't have a, a top twenty-five list, which is essentially what it is, of guys that played in the Atlantic League that don't include Daryl Thompson and Lou Ford. They have to be on there. They For have sure. to. Yeah, and uh, so I would lean towards yes, just because I mean the numbers are are frankly absurd, and not to mention, I mean Lancaster is not an easy pit, a place to pitch. It isn't. Yeah. I it's it is a it is a big time hitter friendly ballpark, and you know something that we'll also talk about with the next guy as well. Uh, but I think that I, I would say I would say he is deserving, but certainly doesn't have the longevity that some of the other guys have. But in my opinion, personal opinion. Like if it were for for the last spot, you would have a guy like Pollock versus a guy like Tim Kane. I would probably pick Pollock, but it's it's I can see the I can see the argument, and obviously that's like a hypothetical debate yeah. I just made up. But I think it's I think it's an interesting discussion to be had, and one that we've talked about a lot since since this list originally started to come out. Yeah, see that's the thing. Like I always tend to side more on the longevity side of it, especially with in terms of independent league baseball because of the fact of, you know, not a lot of people here that long. The truly dominant guys wind up moving on. So I tend to value that longevity just because, you know, that has its own value. It has its own quality to it. So for me, I'm kind of on that side of it. But I do definitely agree here in the case of Pollock, it is the kind of player that you have to make an exemption for because of just how pure head and shoulders above everybody else he was especially with the first 2012 year where he didn't start you know becoming a starter till about halfway through the year so he had half a year in the bullpen and the other half of the year where he just had to go out and throw and he did both very well he had success both postseason and regular season so he makes sense for it but it is an interesting argument to be made between you know peaks of greatness versus sustained quality you know so it is definitely a uh a fun argument made, but you did mention the other guy well, and that is the 15th player on the list, Blake Galligan. Uh, he was player of the year in 2012, also Baseball America's player of the year in 2012 for independent league baseball. A four-time postseason. Yeah. Also, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's Blake Galen. Galen, Galen, that's the same thing. It's the same thing. I like, know, but like, I, I can't. It's like, the same thing. Like, this is one where I'm not going to lie to you. I just, I don't care. I don't care. Like, this is what, normally I care. I don't care about Blake Gallon, Galen, same goddamn thing. <laughs> Either way. It's, it's G-A-I-L. It's Gale. <laughs> the I silent. 
The eye is silent. Yeah. Look. Do you want me he, to? You want me to talk about him? <laughs> you can, but like, look, he plays in a city that's pronounced Lancaster with no I or no K in it. It's like any other place on earth would be Lancaster because that's how it's spelled. So now I'm supposed to go and like, oh, well, look, it's spelled that way. No, 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 no. You play in make-believe Amish land that doesn't use proper English or proper pronunciation. You don't get it both ways. Either we're going by the way it looks or we're going by the random-ass way it's said. So it's gallon as far as I'm concerned. Let, let, I will... Here, here's an interesting question that... There, there is a city or a town city. I don't know what it is yeah. in California with the exact same spelling. What do we think it's? How do we think it's pronounced? Lancaster. There? It's a hundred percent Lancaster, just like Lancaster County, Ohio, just like anywhere else on God's green earth. It'd be Lancaster, but because this one particular group had some Amish folk that apparently are like of Dutch descendant or some garbage like that i don't even know what kind of garbage justification they're using for this it's pronounced lancaster now now of course they could just spell it phonetically so that way everybody else could pronounce the correct way but no we can't do it that way that would be too simple that would be too easy no no we're gonna spell it the same way as another city that pronounces a completely different way and just assume you'll know the difference Nick, it's a way to differentiate the locals from the non-locals. Like, yeah, I'm just saying. Look, look. As far as as far as Blake Balake is concerned, you know, he is seventh in home runs, top twelve in RBI, sack flies, and walks. A 2020 club member. He's a recently retired guy. He's the only single guy in this list, too. By the way, not that that should really matter for anything, but it's a fun thing that's mentioned in the press release. And yeah. You can talk about Galen, Galen, whatever. whatever. Why is that in the press release? Because they always go like, they now reside in like wherever the hell it is. Normally it's Florida with wife and kids and all that shit. So for him, it's just like he's single. He lives in Palo Alto. That's all right. That's screwed up. That's however. That's the second. That's to be honest with you, Nick. That is the second most screwed up line in this in this press release. Ready for number one? Yeah. Quote, during his time in the Atlantic League, Galen, Galen received multiple contracts with affiliated organizations, but always returned to the Atlantic League. <laughs> that, Are you freaking kidding me? It's the Hotel California. He always can come back. Like, I, I, is it true? Yeah. Do you gotta is mention it? Like, if you had a shred of knowledge about, like, how base, how this works, like, you probably would not put that in a press release about this. I don't know. Anyway, when, <laughs> enough talking about things that don't have to do with Blake Allen. Awesome player. Uh, a guy who had, uh, who had big-time power uh, and he, truly a guy who, like, in, in indie ball, and, and not even just the Atlantic League, he played in, he played in other leagues as well and was quite good. Uh, just a guy who was just a great hitter, a lot of power, um, and one of the most feared hitters, even as he got into his in his mid to late thirties. One of the most the one of the most feared power hitters in the Atlantic League, and it, it always has been. And you know, we mentioned that the short porch uh, it w- with a couple minutes ago. He, Galen could really put that uh, use that to his advantage, that, and uh, he certainly did. 
and uh, and he did a, I mean, just a, a great career. I'm glad to hear he's coaching as well, uh, but because you know he's a a guy who's been around the game for so long. But yeah, he's a terrific, terrific player. I'm and definitely one of the more modern players on this on this list for sure. Uh, but so. Uh, I I'm I'm happy he, he's on there because he definitely I think he deserves it because he was I mean he was a really tough out for quite a long time in the league. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. He's one of the mainstays in the league as well too. Where he like you said, well, he was always just kind of around. He's a power hitter. He uh, he definitely deserves to be on this list. Although it is kind of surprising or kind of funny whenever we get guys that like we covered on this list, it's kind of like oh. Yeah, I forgot. Like there, there's a lot of really good players that are currently act. Like we talk about like the same handful of guys, but we. It's always kind of weird to see them get like put on this list. There's some sort of weird connection. At least I always get with players that like I've talked about before that were part of the previews and stuff. So for sure, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that's our. Uh, those are the three new additions to the 25th anniversary team. We have one last thing to get to before we get to the interview. And that is the Ducks signed another major leaguer, uh, recently uh, removed from major league uh, player as well. And that is Adeni Hechevarria. He has signed with the Ducks, nine-year major league veteran of the Marlins, most notably, but also the Braves, the Mets, the Pirates, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, and the Rays too. So he's he's well-traveled. Uh, 33 years old. You know, pretty solid player, decent bench player for a while in Major League Ball. So I imagine he'll do very well here. And the Ducks infield now looks like this in some form or combination. Phil Caulfield, who, you know, was pretty solid uh, over at the Railcats uh, last year and partially with the Ducks too. Daniel Murphy, Ruben Tejada, Zenway Lin, and... Uh, Zuway Lin? Zuway, I don't... Know this shit, man. Like I he's saw a Red Sox. He's a Red Sox. That's I how you I, would know it. How would exactly I know I this? Would know it. How would I know journeyman quadruple A players that never played for a team I watched? Riddle me that, I mean, Batman. I, I mean, I mean, you don't even watch any major league baseball anymore. So, so then how would I know Lynn's name? You're right. This is not. This is insanity. Insanity. Oh. Yeah. If he starts raking in the beginning of the year, we have to bring that back. Absolutely. You know it's going to happen, too. Uh, but, yeah, so now they have four former major leaguers making up their infield in some form or another. I don't know who's going to play first base, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of an infield. Uh, and the Ducks are doing a great job building, building their roster. Certainly have a lot of things that they want to – Prove after la- after last year's disappointment, but yeah, Hetrevaria is like uh, really interesting. A guy who's like really versatile too in the infield. Uh, it was a you know as as Nick you mentioned and pointed out, you know a guy that when uh, played a lot of years as like a bench player uh, in the MLB who didn't who you know was more of a high contact guy didn't get on base a whole lot, but you know he's uh, he's a guy that never hit for a ton of power, but his versatility is in the infield is certainly something that obviously a lot of teams value to keep him uh, to keep him in the bigs for as long uh, as he did. Now, since, since he played with Atlanta, he did, he has played two years in Japan uh, and the offensive numbers at least have not been very good. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, that's something to look for. Although granted the, 
the pitching in Japan is significantly better than the pitching in the Atlantic League, or at least at least like towards the certainly the pitching we saw at the end of the year last year in the Atlantic League. Yeah. Um you would think the pitching's probably better to start the season than to end the season anyway. You would hope. And that, that, yeah. So, uh, so that'll be interesting. But I think you know it's the to go from Japan to the Atlantic League. I think is an adjustment that Hatch Maria could certainly make, uh, and his versatility, his defense, uh, will will certainly be relied upon a lot. And uh, I I think it's a really strong signing. And I think the Ducks in particular, the last the last couple of years with them is that their offense has been kind of pedestrian. And I think to, for them to get back to where they need to be is like that's I think they've realized that's something they need. They have to really. Uh, hone in on hone in on their bats, and I think that's what they've done. And I think Hatchavari is another another good example of that as more of a high contact guy, a guy you could you could potentially uh, hit in the one or two spot uh, in the top of the lineup as well. So uh, yeah, the Ducks really going to be a fa- and of course you know two weeks away from the Atlantic League preview, so we're not going to so we'll definitely go into it a lot more then. But they uh, I think they got a I think they got a really strong squad uh, once again. Uh, yeah, th- this is seemingly to be the uh, redeemed team for Long Island after last year's mediocre results. And last year was mediocre. I don't think there's any way to kind of sugarcoat that. They didn't make the postseason. They were just kind of hovering around for most of the year. This year, they've come out and said, not again. We're going to win this time. We're going to win a championship. And we're going to return to where we should be. And when you have a major league caliber infield, which Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but even still, none of those guys that we mentioned there, Echeverria, Murph, or any of the others, would be out of place on a major league infield. You look at the rest of the rest the roster too. You got Book Pal, who's a former major leaguer too. Technically Lou Ford as well, although I mean, you know, obviously there's a bit of a difference there. But you just go up and down. There's so much major league talent on that roster where you're just you're kind of awestruck by it. And Hedgeveria is just another addition, like you said, well, for all those reasons, he's a good defensive player. He should be able to make the adjustment to this level fairly easily, fairly fine. At 33, maybe he gets picked up, but I also get the sense that he's kind of like in the Murphy boat of trying to make a comeback, but probably won't. The only concern I have for a lot of these guys, including Hedgeveria, including Murphy too, is if we see a Matt Adams type situation where like he kind of dips for the last little bit of the season. Uh, but that was a bit of a different situation too. But even still, the amount of depth they have is just kind of insane to me. And Hedgeveria is going to help Ooh. with that. And the versatility that you have with all those pieces of your infield of being able to move guys to third base, to second base, to shortstop. Pretty much anyone can play anywhere. First base is a little bit of a question mark, but even still, I think Daniel Murphy could play first base fine. I exactly what I would think as well. Yeah. yeah. So even if you say, okay, Murphy, you're the first baseman here, you have three really quality middle infielders that are all capable of playing third base. Mm-hmm. So like this is this is gonna be a really fun infield to watch. It's gonna be a really fun team to watch, point blank, period. So I'm I'm looking forward to that a lot. Yeah, at least early on, because as we always know with with the ducks. Very rarely do they have a uh, – d- does their roster on game one of the regular season on opening day as opposed to the last game of the regular season. It often looks a lot different. So and that's that's always going to be the question. They usually do a terrific job replacing guys in the middle of the season who get you know, released by minor league teams and whatnot. So uh, I, it'll be really interesting. But to start the year, I mean, man, they find a roster better – 
in the Atlantic League right now. It really is. It is extremely difficult there. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into building these rosters, too. You know, you have the coaches that go out and do what they can, but you also have scouts. And that leads us to our interview this week, which is with the head scout for the Rockland Boulders, Kevin Tuve. And he is, you know, he's very generous with his time. As we've had problems with recording this bit, we had some issues recording the interview itself, some technical issues. So if it's a little disjointed, that's you know, I tried my best to keep it together, but he was very generous with this time. It's about an hour long. I think you guys will really enjoy it. We go into the process of scouting, what he looks for in guys, you know, how he actually goes about scouting, you know, and just a bunch of other, other little minor things. You know, there's a lot there to really like. And so I hope you guys will enjoy that. Uh, with that said, I guess we'll just toss it right to the interview. Here is our interview with Rockland Boulder's head scout, Kevin Kuzo. We are back again with another episode or another edition of our long-running interview series. And today we go ahead and shift it from somewhere in between the field and the front office with some scouting. And that is via the Rockland Boulders head scout, Kevin Tuve. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Nick. How are you? Good to be here, by the way. Good to be here. I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty all right. You know, happy to get the interviews going again and, you know, all in all, we're real happy to have you on. I mean, we don't normally get to talk to a lot of scouts. Normally, we get either the front office type. Sometimes we get managers. So right. this is definitely a different perspective that I'm very looking forward to hearing and uh, getting out to people. Awesome. You know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that uh, I think that that your listeners will find very interesting and that uh, I found very interesting over the, the last bunch of years. So definitely... Uh, you know, awesome to, to stop in as the sun is shining and, and talk a little baseball with you here, uh, you know, midweek. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to go. We're getting close. Yeah, definitely. And with the baseball weather, like you mentioned, it's it's in the 70s, it's in the 80s in April in northern New Jersey, New York area. So you yeah. you really start to feel, you start to get the itch there. And so I guess with that on a certain level here, mentioning the area, you know, obviously we have a lot of baseball in this area, not just on the professional level, but also on the collegiate level from division one to division two to division three to even further in and out. And with the Frontier League, I know obviously a large chunk of the rosters, they got to be kind of younger players. The experience level is a, is certainly a consideration. So I guess the, the first question where I open it up is, being in this area, you have a wealth of uh, baseball talent, I guess, to pull from. How do you manage to try and hit all of that? And how do those roster rules kind of affect the player you look at? Great question. So, yeah, so first off, with the, with the Northeast um, area here, um, you know, that we are in, there's a lot of competition, as you can imagine, you know, with the Jersey Jackals, yeah. uh, with the Sussex uh, County Miners, yeah. and then even you know some of the more advanced, more experienced guys. When you get you get into the, you know, the Long Island Ducks and some of those teams. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little different. Where we're kind of looking at different fish here, but at the same time, you know, the experienced guys could still play in that league as well. It's nice having a number of baseball schools that that have you know come so far in the last ten. 15, 20 years with their programs here in the in the East. But I think the competition level has also well eclipsed the number of kids in the area that are looking to play professional. So we're mm. all going after the fish in the barrel. You know, we're all yeah. going after those same kids. Um, you know, now, as far as the, the I mean, it's funny you, you bring up the idea of the of the 
the roster and the the mm-hmm. league rules and restrictions because mm-hmm. you know that does hamper everybody's maneuverability here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're looking at players that have experience. You want them to have some sort of experience coming in, especially you know as TJ and the different managers in the league go and sign their free agents, like you know in that in that off season. But the issue is, as you mentioned, is the salary, the salary cap. You know, the the idea of veterans and experienced players, you, you're limited to what you can have. So it totally plays into what's happening. I mean, we'd all love to, you know, as soon as a pitcher's released, everybody jumps on him or a position guy. The problem is, can he work out for us and for that other team in their roster? And that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. Um, no, no, I was just going to say something. <laughs> As you said, that's the that's the mouthful. That's the issue that we're we're all dealing with. Is is yeah, everybody wants these players, but but again, does it make sense on paper for you know for the Boulders, for the Jackals, etc. Yeah, because you have all those other guys, plus you have guys that are returning. So trying to meld the returning guys with the new guys is a is a bit of a factor in how that manager is going to use them. And I imagine, especially in the case of uh, Rockland, New York, that the ballpark also plays a certain factor in that as well, where you have two shorter porches that are a little bit in, and then you have kind of the Grand Canyon out to center field. So <laughs> it affects the kind of pitcher you want to go for. Like, okay, do we want more of a ground ball pitcher? Do we want more of a, a guy that's not going to risk hitting the con- or pitching the contact? Are we going to go for uh, more of a power hitter that can push or pull the ball? Do we want guys that can put stuff in the gaps and then just leg it out? So I guess uh, how does the ballpark really do affect that kind of a player that you look for? It definitely does. Um, you know, you have that. First off, if you're looking for somebody who's going to play potentially center field, um, as you mentioned about, as you described it very nicely, mm-hmm. it is the, the Grand Canyon of outfield that, that you see in, in almost any park yeah. in minor league baseball. Um, and we've had some over the years that have played it a lot better than others. You know, the Jared McDonald's, the David DeJesus, some of the different yeah. players, you know, that we've had that really were able to, to, to play yeah. in that type of environment but it does play in because look at the right the right field porch right so you know you're looking for lefty guys that can punch it out there and then yet it's funny because there's like a jet stream left center field has some sort of a jet stream that carries the ball as well that tj talks about as we get closer to the summer when the weather heats up don't know why uh but (laughs) there's always been some truth to that 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 some of the managers, and I know TJ talks about it, batting practice all the time during the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely plays in, you know, and that's yeah. the thing is that you're looking for someone who can play defense out there, you know, definitely hitter friendly ballpark, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in right field and center field. We've seen a lot of balls, uh, you know, home runs come to die there over yeah. the, the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years. So um, I, I think you, you, you make a lot of sense with that, that you really have to look at what outfield you, you're looking to put together. And uh, that's something to think about when you when you, you know, when TJ talks to his free agents, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And I know certainly the way the sun sets to it, it hits you right in the eyes on the first base side. Too. Yes. So yes. That, that's another factor there. I know I've mistakenly. <laughs> Bought tickets on that first base side, got in, sat down, and then said, I, I can't see anymore. Had <laughs> to start yes. to readjust. But that's a, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I just bring this up. Charlie Law, yeah. who was one of our first first basemen who played there, Rutgers guy, yeah. you know, uh, pretty tall kid, if you remember Charlie, yeah. who could pitch and play first base. And I remember, and, and Charlie and so many other 
different first baseman over there uh, go through the same thing that you just noted because that sun is blinding for a night game. Uh, um, I mean, day games as yeah. well when you have the camp day, but definitely yeah. those that you know that seven to seven thirty window there. That sun is literally right in in that first baseman's eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just you're you're praying that you don't have to look over that way because it's like oh this is gonna be bad, but. Yeah, it's definitely another fun little feature of the ballpark there. Uh, you mentioned it's obviously a hitter-friendly ballpark, but the one thing I always noticed, or at least since I really started paying attention, was that it always seems like the Boulders put out a really good bullpen. And I can't really put my finger on There's always like two or three guys that their ERAs are really low. Maybe their innings are only at about 30, 35 innings, but even still, it's hovering right. around one. You know, I right. think immediately coming to mind a guy like Zach Schneider, a guy like Nick Kennedy, right. a guy like uh, James Mullery, these kinds of guys. So I'm just kind of wondering either what you look for in a pitcher when you're going to scout a guy or what is it that just seems to uh, work with bullpen arms in uh, Pomona? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one of the things – uh, that you that you look at first off is that the mo- the most of the pitchers that are out there that I've seen are relief pitchers. Um, so overall, that that seems to be a rule of thumb. The last five to ten years that I've seen is so many times when I talk to a pitcher and and have somebody that I can get over to the manager, they will you know they will say, well yeah I'm I'm more of a reliever. Um, if you have a starter, it's it's something that is of of you know, real luxury around here because it's very difficult in indie ball to find that starter. Because if you have someone who's a starter who got released, he's got to be he's going to be pounced on by the Atlantic League, and he's going to be pounced on obviously by affiliated as well with the shortage of pitching. We all know that's been around for a yeah. long time. But going back to the relief uh, issue, yeah. you know, we're we're always looking for you know some of those major statistics. The idea of of just guys who don't walk. You know, yeah. we, 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 it sounds crazy, but I mean, that's one of the things I'm always looking for is that strikeout. You know, I go back to Dave LaPointe, who was here yeah. in the beginning as uh, the first Boulder manager in, in the inaugural year in, in 2012. And Dave's thing was strikeouts to walks. You know, yeah. he, he said that to me back in, in 2011. Take a look at that. You yeah. know, don't forget it. And so I'm not uh, saying that that Dave's, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> proselytized, uh, you know, uh, a saying that's been, but it is true. And so we do, we do really take a look at that idea. You know, we look at the idea of, is this guy going to walk the ballpark? And so hopefully we get right. You know, we can get it right once in a while, but TJ is, is very good at picking out as a former pitcher. He, um, as well as, you know, uh, Jamie Keefe, uh, Kevin Baez, and, and even Dave always had the knack for finding a guy that could help us mid relief, or maybe even a closer. We've had really good closers over the years as well. You know, um, you know, going back naming some some of these guys. Uh, you know, I'd have to take a look back. There's been a, a ton of names, but you're exactly right. I mean, the the one of our strengths over the years, and many of the guys we've gotten signed are those relief pitchers. You know, yeah. there's a number of those names that got out of here that that were middle relief guys too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the wealth of talent there is just something else. And you mentioned that, you know, most guys nowadays are relievers. And I, I gotta wonder if it's a little bit just from everybody wanting to throw as hard as they can now. And mm. so it's really hard, especially for a younger pitcher, just keep throwing, you know, high eighties or more 
that many times in a row consistently over, you know, four, five, six innings, whereas opposed to just throw everything you have into like the next 12 to 20 pitches, you're only going an inning, maybe two innings max. I wonder if that has something to do with the people going, oh, I'm more of a reliever now. Just they want to throw right. hard as opposed to throw smart. I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. I mean, the fact is an independent ball, there's no there really aren't pitch counts in that with many yeah. of these teams. You know, you're yeah. going out to air it out. You know, I remember, you know, uh, learning that from Jamie Keith way yeah. back. And when he and I were in Pittsfield together yeah. many moons ago, that idea of this is indie ball. You go out there and you pitch, you yeah. know, uh, it's, it's a throwback type of mentality. But you're exactly right. I mean, the, these kids, they go out to air it out. You know, they especially with the statistical, uh, you know, um, world we've been living in here in the last 10 years and the yeah. idea of. Hey, I'm I'm not getting signed on on throwing junk. I'm going to get out of here throwing you know throwing it through a wall. And I think uh, that is part. And then we see a lot of injuries that way too. Yeah. We see a lot of guys shut down that that never get to pitch and conclude the the independent season at the end of the summer. So that's a great point. I think I think you're onto something with that, no doubt. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, to a certain degree too, like you mentioned, all the injuries that come along because a pitching motion isn't really a natural throwing motion right. for your arms so putting all that extra stress and all that extra tension on a few ligaments in your elbow you're essentially asking for it to implode it's just a matter of you know are you going to yeah. get to your location where you want to be in your career before that happens because if it doesn't then uh you just made your road a lot more difficult as opposed to you know learning for lack of a better term learning how to be smart about pitching you know to be direct yeah. about it yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because that's one of the, that's one of the things too, you know, now that spills into the discussion of the disabled list. Yeah. Because in the independent baseball, yeah, you have, you have only certain guys, certain amount of guys you can put on the disabled list. It's mm. not like the major leagues where you could just stockpile guys. Mm. So the, the problem then becomes how many guys are you going to put on the DL? How long are you going to wait for somebody to come back? Yeah. You're playing a hundred games. This is not a developmental league. Yeah. It's win now. You know, um, how many times and, and, and you've seen it more, you know, just as much as I have, I'm sure around that you, you keep an eye really on, on all the leagues as the season, you know, season progresses. How many times have you seen a guy that all of a sudden you just don't see pitch anymore? Oh, yeah. What happened to him? You know, uh, he, he's, he's, well, yeah, he's on the DL. He's back. He went back home. You know, uh, yeah. he's not sure if he's coming. And then as you just said, he puts a roadblock in between him and getting back to affiliated again, because now that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, I feel for these guys, especially the pitchers in that case, because it's the hardest for them to come back. Yeah, it's just one that I always was wondering about and always would, you know, kind of think about like, OK, but yeah, you make a great point, too. When you just don't see them pitch anymore, they're not really listed anymore. They were quietly just kind mm -hmm. of released. And it's always uh, it's always fun when that happens too, right before the season, right during the preview season, like we're, we're right. kind of in now, too, because you see. You know, I keep trying to chart them as people get added, so that way it's not too bad this time of year. But right, um, right. but then you always have guys on that final roster where you're like, you were never listed, even as signed, and uh, I right. don't have that's, you anymore. Right. Well, that's a good point. You know, yeah. there'll be fans who will say, uh, yeah. you know, hey, Kev, what happened to so-and-so? And it's like, well, he was never here. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a visa issue. You know, oh, maybe yeah. the guy was never. I mean, that's an independent that's a ball one. goes through this with the visa issues and the injuries that – a lot of those, I mean, I remember, uh, I want to say 2019, um, no, sorry, yeah. 2018, I believe Jamie Keeps last year, yeah. here, we had three dominant pitchers, and one was a closer that we never saw from Venezuela and what have you, 
that we never got here because of the visa issues. Had we have gotten those and, you know, um, same thing with, with TJ last year with, with one of his catchers, we were never able to get, you know, who was a foreign born player. So you have that visa issue and you have the injuries. And so all that together adds up to a major problem because now these are guys that everybody's looking for. You know, they, they're, they're names that you and I know that could, that could help a team out. And yet they never get to see that kid throughout the summer, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's a whole nother aspect of this that, that many fans have no idea, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see guys like I remember a couple of years back, a great example was like, uh, Jimmy Paredes and, uh, Edwin Espinal for Somerset. I mean, it was like these were yeah. two guys that were supposed to be like, kind of pillars for that team and in the end mm-hmm. they just missed the postseason and you have to think if the visa issues didn't pop up that's right. a there's a big difference maker and especially like you said it's all win now so you can't afford to you know drop a game or two i mean we saw this past year even with the wild card race how tight everything was especially right. in the division the boulders were in where you know i know me and will we were just watching that race go down because on the other side it was like okay john burke's pretty much guaranteed at this point and same thing with uh washington they're whatever they're doing but over in the east it was like okay we know quebec's here because they're just kind of right. way up there but there was yeah. for a very long time into the last let's say 10 days of the season four or five teams you could reasonably say were going yeah. to make the playoffs there was it was a very difficult division last year and that, and that's exactly, you know, you were, we were spreading, splitting hairs, as they say, they were yeah. so close. And at the same time, you know, those impact players, we, every team was scrambling to get somebody in there before the, the uh, trade deadline. And it's just so difficult. I mean, we, yeah. we had so many names that, you know, TJ and, and um, many of his contacts w- had possibly available. But again, you had your visa, yeah. you had your salary cap. You know, you had other things like, uh, you know, players are working. Are they able to come here and, and you know, do those those kind of things, yeah. you know, for, for the last couple of weeks of the season? And so it, it, it becomes very difficult, uh, you know, for that to happen. So I agree with you. I think it's very um, it's a complicated thing, especially adding players. I mean, I, I again, I'd have fans all the time as I'm walking around, you know, hey, when are we getting another, uh, you know, starter? And, it's just not like Major League Baseball where you can sign a guy and a blink of an eye, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a six-inning guy shows up. It just isn't – it's not that easy. <laughs> it just isn't, you yeah. know. The resources just aren't there for it. Correct. Yeah. And the and in these leagues, you know, I mean, you know, again, in these leagues where you have roster rules, you have to play to the rules. There, There's severe penalties. If you don't, it's very important. Yeah. You know, you got to keep the integrity of it and, and – you know, our league is very clear on what the what the uh, the rules are, and there's no problem with that at all. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a question of winning with those with those rules are, are quite difficult. So you have to have those resources that, you know, of coaches and scouts and people along the way that that will present your manager with with somebody that makes sense, and you can get them in that in that roster. You know. Yeah, definitely. And one guy that, you know, for a very long time and I think now has gone to Charleston, but as one guy that I always think of when I think of Boulder pitching is Danny Rachansky. Because I remember seeing him pitch the first time. I was like, how is this yes. guy not signed? I was like amazed yeah. by it. Yeah. So I guess just a little bit on how uh, I'm not sure who it was exactly that came across Danny, but how that all happened, because I'm very interested in, in how he got to where he was because he's a very good pitcher. And, and, you know, I mean, uh, credit TJ here, TJ yeah. Stanton, Tucker Nathans, you know, they yeah. are, they know so many different people and they have so many different resources. 
you know, TJ knows what he sees. You know, he's he's he he's been doing this for a long time, won a championship doing this and in three rivers, you know, he was able to, he's able to see what he likes as was Jamie Keefe, as was, you know, these other managers, you know, Brian Dahlback, who I started working with back in 2010, you know, these managers have a good idea of what they're looking at. Just, just, uh, where Chansky was a guy that TJ was able to, you know, pick up. I don't know that many of the details of that, but I know that if you had 23 of them, my God, you know, I mean, this this guy would go out there with his arm hanging. He's one of those throwbacks and uh, sorely missed. But as you said, we'll be very happy, uh, you know, if yeah. he can go there, make it. And hopefully he does get out and get to where he belongs in affiliated baseball. Um, you know, Danny was, uh, you know, was what you saw. Um, he, you know, he was that automatic. And it's so hard to find pitching, especially for a hundred game season. But Danny was tailor made for, mm. for the, for the league and for the bowlers. Um, yeah. and so, uh, you know, you, you, you bid farewell, but, but, uh, at the same time, you know, where's that next Danny Wachanski going to come from? Well, you know, that's the, that's the challenge. You know, that's what we're work, working on all the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely there. And I guess it kind of goes to, you know, being a player that, it can adapt to it and has that kind of mentality. And so I guess one the, to try and circle back towards the actual scouting of things, you know, I remember listening to a different interview you had done, I believe, uh, with, with Dave from over at the Frontier Journal, wherever he's up to nowadays. Sure. But yeah, sure. but one of the things you mentioned was versatility in a player. And so right. I, I'm curious as to what you mean by versatility and just the mindset of it, the abilities they have. Uh, just a little bit more on what uh, versatility is in a player. Yeah, no, I, I would s- say what what we're talking about with versatility is that they can play more than one position, literally. Yeah. Um, you know, not so much. I mean, look, you're not going to find too many uh, Shanae Otanis that are going to go yeah. out there and pitch and play third. But there are guys that can play infield and outfield. There are guys that can run. There are guys that can do the little things. You know, um, I would say someone who could play more than one position on a limited roster with limited, I guess, space on this in the salary cap, you know, I, I think is, is very valuable. You know, I go back to the old Quebec teams, uh, the teams that, you know, won what was it, four championships in a row, something yeah. like that at one time. I mean, take a look at, at Pat Scalabrini's roster. He was very, very good and still is at getting that player that could catch and also play something else. We're back from the technical difficulty. I probably would have mentioned this in the right before I introduced the interview, but we had a small issue. We're back now. That's all good. We were just talking about versatile, versatility and, and a player and whatnot. And so I guess the, that kind of can lead into the second part of the question that I kind of have here, which is to say, what else do you look for in a player? Because I imagine uh, a pitcher from a actual position player is a bit different because with the pitcher it's hard to have that kind of versatility of playing multiple positions and being able to kind of maximize the use uh the i guess the ability of your roster with a pitcher i imagine the most uh versatility you can really get is he can start and he can come out of the bullpen i imagine that's kind of the ceiling on it yeah yeah i mean it's two different you know two different things a lot of times you know i'll deal with a lot of the younger free agents that are out there as far as you know putting different workouts together or putting different you know lists together for for tj and 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 for his his staff 
the big thing is there's just certain players who are experienced and would anybody that I think would be, you know, somebody that the manager any given year would want to see. Those are the guys that I'll do a little bit of the research on and then push it right over to the manager and let him take it from there. You know, um, in the past, I have dealt with like the player agents uh, as well, you know, and, and giving them the, the pitch to come play in New York and that sort of thing. Definitely, uh, you know, did it often during yeah. Jamie Keefe's time here in New York. But you're right. I mean, it's, you know, you're looking for, aside from the versatility thing, for the position guy, you're also looking for somebody that, you know, would make sense financially. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of times I'll push guys over to whoever the managers are, the team, you know, during that season, but it won't come to fruition because it just doesn't make sense, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember real quick, one year, yeah. Miguel Tejada and Manny Ramirez were looking for in, to play independent baseball. Yeah. And uh, I remember talking to their advisor slash some sort of an agent that was mm -hmm. in, in talks with both of them. And the big thing was that yeah. it just didn't make sense. I mean, we were trying to put any possible deal together in Rockland as we could, but it never it never came to fruition. That whole process there, that's extremely uh, it's extremely interesting, and it is something that I want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit more on because you you mentioned working with a lot of uh, a lot of different managers. Obviously, there's Jamie Keith, there's uh, there's Baez, there's there's TJ, there's a slew of of guys here, so. Does the process kind of change a little bit with each guy to kind of tailor made it to the manager or is it just kind of the same of, okay, every day we're going to go out and like you said, we're going to look for these guys. We're going to find opportunities. We're going to find uh, just options to make them available. Or is it kind of, okay, I know this guy, he prefers this kind of player. So I'm going to keep a, a special eye out for that. I think it differs. Uh, it definitely has differed, you know, from the beginning when I started actively getting involved in this to where we are here today in, in season of 2023. I, I think, you know, every manager will trust you in, in one way and maybe a little bit less in another, or maybe more in another. It just depends on, you know, trying to figure out what they, what they like and what, you know, there's certain, there's certain protocol, I guess, that you know, I, my biggest thing all the time is I don't want to step on toes of anybody that is, is running the manager hot seat. You know, yeah. I'm not, um, my goal is to be a compliment to, to them and not to be somebody. I, I mean, I have no ego here. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, looking to sign with an organization at my age, man, it's, yeah. it, this is, this is probably as high as it's going to be. And I, I'm satisfied with that. You know, yeah. I, I like, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be uh, able to work with, with the boulders in Rockland. I, I, you know, that's the home team. That's, yeah. that's 15 minutes from where I live. It's a, uh, it's a great opportunity. And, and I've gotten to meet unbelievable people uh, doing this there. So for me, you know, the biggest thing is trying to figure out would, like you talked about projecting whether a player or a pitcher would be somebody that they might want to take a look at. Um, and if, and if there's the possibility, then I send them over because I don't, the, the worst thing would be uh, if I ruled somebody out without getting it to the manager, that would yeah. be defeating the whole point of doing what I have to do. And uh, that's a fear of mine. You know, yeah. I don't want to do that um, because you don't know, you yeah. know, I, I think I've learned one thing as we go through that, Sometimes you look at somebody and you say, oh, I don't know it, but I'm not there. I'm not seeing how hard this person is hitting balls or, or how 
you know, there's what their stuff looks like on on the mound, you know, in some yeah. facility somewhere in the Midwest. What I need to do is make sure that TJ or whoever the yeah. the skipper is at the time gets to see this person or at least knows about it and says, you know what, we tried to do this and this is what happened, or we signed this person and they're going to come with us. Then I know I did did what I needed to do and, and back on the case. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of my strategy, yeah. if you will. Yeah, it's leaving every possibility open and allowing uh, the manager to make that call, but still presenting all of those options saying, hey, we have this, we have this, we have this, and say, which route do you want to go down? I, I've got all of these waiting for you. It's just a matter of what you uh, what you prefer. Yeah, because I, you know, I learned the hard way. I mean, yeah. for years I was looking at players and convinced that, and, and you know, you start to take people's word for it without seeing something, and that's dangerous. And oh, yeah. I did that for years, where it was like I'm told this, I'm told that, and you know, my my answer now when I talk to agents, when I talk to fathers, <laughs> yeah. when I talk to coaches, scouts, the biggest thing is let's see them. You know, if it's somebody young, let's see them in person over two days. Yeah. You know, let's bring them to our workout. Let's take a look at it. You know, I, I get, as everybody does, you know, you get always those wild phone calls or messages. And, and many times they're just, it's just a, not even a gimmick. It's it's yeah. really just a dead end. You know, a lot of these yeah. players, they want to be signed without you seeing them. And that's mm. that's hard to do unless there's a body of work here. And I don't see a body of work on, on the younger guys very often. It's, you know. All right, they were at a Division two, Division one school, and this is what they did. But can they come here and hit a guy that was in Double A? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I get the same thing all the time, where you know the whole messages, emails, like they flood in with guys that just say, "Hey, I'm X old. Here are my measurables. Here's some of my tape. Can you send it around to coaches and managers and stuff?" And it's like, well, first right. off, I, I I could I try not to because I'm putting my name on a guy that just randomly sent me a dm right. on twitter and i'm not right. sure how comfortable i feel doing that first off and secondly it's also i you get to pick the tape you send me you know right. like you're not going to send me a bunch of you know bad <laughs> cuts or bad pitches right you're going to send me your point. best work so like yeah i could shop you around but also it's like i'm my job isn't to, you know, meddle in teams affairs. My job is to go, all right, these, this is what the teams are doing. I'm letting you know now. So I totally get that where you just get a bunch of guys that send stuff and just kind of expect one thing to happen. But, uh, the one thing that I always come back to too, whenever talking about looking at players or bringing it up is one thing that, uh, Michael Schley, who we mentioned earlier, mentioned both on Twitter and on the show, which was, you know, I like to see when a guy does poorly. I like to see how he handles right. himself there because that tells me a lot about the player itself because anyone can have a good day or one bad day, but I want to see how you react to that, how you handle it. Are you, you know, just throwing your glove, making a mess of the dugout, just like pouting, or are you going back in and then afterwards saying, all right, I have to go get in the cage. I have to go throw another BP. I have to do something to fix that bad outing. And that's something that I, I always think about. So I guess, uh, especially with the young players, trying to see that mindset is also something that you really want to look at. That's, that's a great point. You know, I mean, I, I didn't even get to, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I'm, I'm forgetting one of the things here is obviously the, the makeup of the of the individual, yeah. you know, and, and I don't get to really, you know, see much of that. Yeah. But there are times where I do, you know, talk to the to the to the person you get that kind of feeling in the beginning you know i deal with people all day long i've been teaching high school 23 yeah. years so de te you know dealing with with people is is 
the business that uh, you know we're in here. So for sure, um, if you see that there's an issue with who it is, it's very difficult to recommend somebody that you know is is going to be a problem. Uh, going to be a you know, for the lack of better words, someone that does not fit in, yeah. Um, yeah. an outlier. And so you have you have to be careful of that too because you bring in the wrong and we you know anybody that's listening uh, that's involved with baseball will see that from from the young oh, yeah. the kids right the kids in little league all the way up to the major leagues I mean you have a Clint Frazier you have some of these guys who are professional major leaguers and yeah. they leave and then the word comes out you know uh, about so and so was not someone who really fit fit in well in the clubhouse uh, you know so I think you're right I mean there's a lot that goes through it goes to it and i don't know if every player is going to make you better if he's someone that's you know a turd in the clubhouse you got to yeah. be careful because he could really wreck chemistry that your older guys have and have established that over the years so that's something you have to watch for too in all these in all these professional ranks no doubt about it i know absolutely and it's the hardest part to really see because that's the part that's not really always visible it's always what's happening in the room and you know it's the right. one thing that you know a lot of people you know, they try to, you know, go, oh, well, you know, it's an overrated thing. You know, how are they in the room? That kind of thing. But it is, it is critical. I mean, you're spending how many That's dozens it. of hundreds of hours over the course of a baseball season <laughs> with these people? You don't want to be around the guy that, you know, it's always making an ass of himself. You know, it mm-hmm. gets real tiring after like a week or two. It's like, okay, if you're going to be doing that, you better be pulling your weight because the second you're not, that's just not going to fly. And, it kind of goes back to something I remember me and Will talking about was, you know, how analytics are used now and how it's like you have such a war between eye test and numbers and the people that just make up this fancy chart with a bunch of colors on it and a bunch of numbers on it. And it's like, I don't mean to, you know, kind of disregard yeah, numbers right. because, I mean, advanced numbers, they have their place. It's information to ignore. It's, you know, not yeah. a gr- you're just ignoring information. But I guess to kind of bring it into an actual question would be how do you kind of meld somebody that shows like, Oh, I got all these advanced numbers with what you physically see on the field. And you know, that's, that's a, that's a whole nother thing too, that has to be considered. Um, you know, we, we're in the frontier league. We use a Yakker tech, which is, you know, it's, it's like track man, all these different, um, you know, programs that like the Atlantic league has and stuff. Which is great. I mean, there's a lot of mm. unbelievable information that that um, you know interns are learning about. The players get to see it. The manager, coaches. I mean, I know on our side, everybody takes a look at it. The other teams, the same thing um, as they come in. You know, umpires look at it. So there, you're 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 thrown a a huge wealth of information yeah. quickly every night, right? But mm. I think you're right. I mean, the biggest thing that besides that that goes into play here is all right you look at the character you look at the but do those numbers tell the story mm-hmm. of somebody that would make sense for you know an independent professional team to go for you know is it somebody that's going to come here and make us better or is it somebody that's going to put individual numbers up and probably get out at some point but cause havoc in the meantime um or just be a waste of, of funds if you're if you're putting yeah. out a veteran or a uh, an experienced player salary that's a lot of you're eating up yeah. a lot of chips you know yeah um you know you get so many wax at it and to waste one of those wax on a, on a right. player that's just not really they're hollow numbers is it could be a killer to right. a season and and again that's a big thing you know i remember how many years ago talking to, to 
having this conversation a few times with whoever the manager was, probably Jamie at the time. And, you know, you, you have to build this team in the off season, you know, and we're, as you mentioned, when we first came on the air, we're running out of off season here. I mean, we're almost in May. So the thing is, you're not going to be able to often replace experience slash vets during a season. The only shot you really have of that, that we've seen over the last, you know, five years and, and not as much now as we saw in the Can-Am is when the, the league in Mexico, you know, you'll see it in the Atlantic League a lot. The Mexico Mexican League is finished. You'll see yeah. a lot of those AAA slash X big leaguers come up at, um, yeah. and get signed. But other than that, how do you go and replace vets when you have your salary set? Where are you finding these guys midway? I mean, unless yeah. something falls on your doorstep, uh, you know, of the yeah. clubhouse, you're not you're not having up. So the, it's not easy for these managers to put this together. And so they're putting all their chips in, you know, in, in the hands of certain guys here in the winter slash early spring. And then it's, hey, man, here we go. Here's who I have. You roll the dice. They come out. And then, you know, you, you could be it's make or break. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting point that, that you bring up, especially with the with the statistics, because, yeah. you know, what do you do? I mean. You know, our manager lives up north in Canada. He's taking a look at video and, and going crazy during the like every other manager is. Mm. You know, how do these managers pull the trigger on something based off those numbers in February? They're looking at from the previous summer, you know. Yeah. And how much does that change, especially when you start watching that video? How much is that going to change, you know, when they're throwing in August of last year to when they're right. throwing in May of this year? Right. A lot of stuff happens there. A lot of mileage gets put on there because a lot of these guys, especially they play winter ball, you know, whether yes. that be, you know, Dominican Republic, somewhere else in South America or over in Australia, wherever it may be. So that's a whole other factor to really yeah. jump in on yeah. that, too. But well, and then. And that's the thing. The other part of that is, is when the season starts, many of these guys, just like the major leaguers that didn't play in the WBC, they they're not in game shape yet. Yeah. So now, you know, you start the season, you know, May 11th or so in the in the frontier. We start right around there. You know, you got to give a guy a couple starts to show, you know, really past them, you know, maybe to Memorial Day, at least to June yeah. to see what they have, especially if it's someone who's not a rookie and you put it, you know, so it's it's. It's a chess game. Yeah. Um, you know, I never realized that the first couple of years until I started really being in the room when, when these managers and coaches break down that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's just really, it's, it's just, it shows these are the things that nobody sees, you know, and people could say, oh, somebody can manage or can't during the game, but how do they do in, in the, the fall and winter, you know, past the holiday season, we start to get into, you know, yeah. into the spring. How are they doing with grabbing guys based off of something they did like, you know, so long ago? And are they going to come here and is that going to project in the, in the frontier league? It's, 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 it's a crapshoot many times. Yeah. It absolutely is. And I mean, especially just keeping on the frontier focus, it's, uh, when you look at teams like Tri City, for example, that the last two years slow mm -hmm. starts and then you just see one day this massive roster turnover. And it's in some sense really amazing to watch to see yeah. like half a roster get released and then a whole slew of new guys come in. But you just see how much having to wait that like first three, four weeks of the season just really handicaps. I and mean, there's a very good argument, I think, to be made that 
because of that slow start each year, mm. that's the reason why they were on the outside looking in and why, you know, in the wild card, mm. you guys had Ottawa over, say, a Tri-City there. But, I mean, it goes to show just how much preparation you have to do in the offseason to avoid being in that position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and it's it's just, you know, these managers have different contacts in different places and people they trust, you know, that can get them players. And, and that's such a big part of it, too. Yeah. You know, um, because they have to be able to not only get somebody when somebody goes down, which which we'll talk about a little later on with with the, you know, mm-hmm. I know what we do with our workouts and stuff um, with the younger players, but yeah. yeah, I mean, they have to be able to project. And so the problem is, you know, not every team can do that. Yeah. You know, not every team has somebody, you know, like a Pete that can mm-hmm. pull the trigger and understands. I mean, he's been around the game for God so many years. Yeah. And, and he's just, you know, su- such an experienced, solid manager that, that he's able to do that. But there, for every person that can do what he can do, so many different managers in pro ball, as you and I have seen over yeah. the years, you know, don't have that luxury, nor the contacts, nor the ability. So, you know, what do you do when you have limited resources and you have to get get these, uh, you know, these starting pitchers past five, six innings early in the season? It's 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 very tough. It's very tough. It, it, um, yeah. It really is. I mean, like I know when we had Pete on, you know, he did the whole interview from his car driving to a uh, to a showcase. <laughs> so I mean, that just really goes to show that you yes. have to, you know, you really have to put the work in here. And yeah, uh, yeah. speaking of showcases, uh, tryouts are a big part of that. And obviously, there's two major ones. If you're if you're a Boulder's fan or a player looking to to get into uh, Rockland, New York, and that is the frontier league tryout and then the boulders actual tryout. So I guess I'll kind of take it in that direction into, you know, how much does the league tryout matter? And then what is, how is that different? What, uh, what is it like for the team tryout? I guess some of the similarities, differences, all, all that kind of a thing. So the, the, the league tryout is, is, is really, really something else. I mean, they, they bring in a ton of guys. They have the managers right on hand, uh, I think they're out in Windy City, I want to say, this year, mm-hmm. and I could be wrong about that. Um, yeah. What we do, you know, what we do over two days, we, we started it in 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually ran it in Pittsfield a few times in 10 and 11 as well prior. And what we do is we bring in guys over two days, three different times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're really the only club that does this. We'll do it in, in May. Uh, happens to be May 14 and 15. We'll do it in June, which is the college grad workout, uh, I believe June 17th and 18th. And then mid-July, we'll do one more, which is really for free agents before the rosters freeze again. And it's it's great for younger players who could make the June one, you know, as long as they keep active and they're playing in some league or getting getting uh, ABs and, and getting innings in. You know, even if it's a men's league, they're throwing, they're doing something so that by the time the July one comes, the final one, we get to see them live. And it's a two-day thing, so... You know, we'll have guys that'll fly in and, and land here. We have, we have a discounted hotel set up for them on our website on nyboulders.com. We have, you know, the first day where guys are, are hitting on the field. They're, they're, you know, involved with some infield and outfield drills. They're doing the 60. They're doing all those things you yeah. do at workout. But the second day, the luxury is we go live starting early in the morning and we'll go all day till we, every pitcher's thrown. Um, uh-huh. and we, we've, you know, we've grabbed, a number of guys out of this w- workout that even got signed to affiliated uh, deals over the last, 
God, nine years. Yeah. Um, we've also had, you know, countless guys contribute. When we won the championship, we had two arms. Joe Danino was one who the Diamondbacks later on took that year in 14, who really helped us out a lot. Um, you know, Mike Adams, who's a triple A guy who, uh, was with the Phillies last season in triple A. There's another guy that came out of a workout. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys floating around and, and that were floating around the last couple of years that, that, you know, that came out of a workout. But the more, the, the beauty part of that is, is that we can help other teams as well, where we may not have an opening a month later, but I have these guys that I can get them positions with other teams. So we, we've been known to help the Quebecs and the, and the Jerseys and the Sussex and these different teams over the years. By all means, you know, give these guys, these kids an opportunity somewhere. Um, but, uh, for our sake, you know, we're running this one here in May and yeah, the frontier league one, you know, they do a a really nice, uh, showcase. I mean, they do a hell of a job with that, bringing guys in, um, down in, um, uh, you know, in the frontier league workout, I believe, like I said, I believe it's out in, in, in windy city this year. And I could be totally wrong about that, but I don't, I don't take part in that. I don't get out there for that. I'm still teaching anyway in April, but I'm able to definitely get kids that didn't get to really be seen enough there or at another workout, whatever we can give guys opportunities. And we, we do, um, you know, so we keep tabs on these guys really all season. Uh, TJ keeps in touch with guys. I do. We keep, we have video on so many of the guys and we run velos. We report back to the, all the pitchers and give them how hard they threw when they threw it both days to, to which hitters. And, and so it's, it's neat stuff like that, that we, uh, we started doing years ago and now so we'll do it again this year um a year ago it rained so one yeah. of the days i remember we were inside hitting in the cage in rockland which wasn't the same because it, it rained cats and dogs that yeah. day that second day so we're hoping a month from now the weather is a little more uh uh you know uh yeah. a little uh, easier a lot more like uh, it was today than it was uh absolutely. last year yeah. yeah i wish we could just uh freeze this what we had today and use that but you're right um so it's it's we rely on that for rookies and we rely on it definitely for guy goes down we we have the next guy up and we're able to call and contact someone and get them in there as soon as possible because we all know in 100 games a lot's going to happen between now and and, and september you know exactly Um, yeah and it's that second day that's really interesting that every pitcher gets that opportunity to kind of showcase what they have and have kind of a, a live game experience in a way so it really is you know, mm-hmm. I think the really benefit is from that. I know personally, just from going up there a lot and watching, you know, actual games, regular season games, postseason games, there's a lot of times where, you know, walking out, I've walked out going back to my car and I've seen, you know, plenty of guys with the red sock backpack, diamond back backpack, a bunch of different guys are like, Oh yeah, he was, he was there scouting. And, right, you know, right. it's always kind of a fun game for me to play to go, I wonder which guy he was scouting today. And, right, right, you know, I always, right. the quickest way I kind of cut to, I'm like, who was the starter for each side? And that's probably a decent starting point. But, yeah. 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 I mean, we, we've been, you know, and, and coming down from, you know, from, from Sean Riley all the way down to, you know, kids that are interns in the baseball ops department, professionalism has always been something that they take pride in there mm. to do, you know, the utmost, uh, best job you can, especially when it comes to scouts, especially, you know, we're trying to, and, and TJ obviously is huge on this. And, and so is, you know, the different coaches, Bubba Bird song. I want to bring him up oh, because yeah. he's, he's with us still. I mean, you, you know, Bubba was with Jamie a few years. He's been with TJ now. He's, he's, uh, you know, a staple when it comes to, 
you know, the late to yeah. really, uh, he finishes his school, I guess, around May. So he gets in there sometime in, in mid, maybe late May. But yeah. the biggest thing is that we get to show these players off and, and, you know, try to, you know, do whatever we can and get video and anything we can to try to help, you know, a player get seen and, and get to affiliated baseball as, as we've seen happen, uh, you know, each year. So that's a big thing, but, but absolutely you see, you know, the Dave Scrivens from the Red Sox and you see, yeah. you know, uh, Billy Miles from the twins and these different, um, organizations, you know, come in and, and see, see the boulders play. So the goal is to, you know, really try to reach out and, 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 you know, as TJ and Jamie both did and Kevin Baez and the different managers have, I, I've seen them all do it. I mean, yeah. do their best to get these players seen. And, and that's, uh, you know, when, when the crowd goes home, that's the name of the game too, is to keep, you know, keep the cupboard full and, and recharge the batteries with the older players out and, and let them get signed hopefully. And, yeah. you know, in come the young kids and that's where the workouts come in you know yeah absolutely and that's the really the best way for a lot of these younger guys to get picked up because you know if you have tape against professional pitchers or professional hitters i imagine it means a lot more because at least you know okay this is against this quality of player versus mm-hmm. when you're going mm-hmm. against you know the double a or triple a or niia guy where it's you know quality may vary depending on right. what program you're right. playing for in a bunch of different things. So, but yeah, hearing, hearing names that come up in like all the interviews, it's always funny because Bob is one of them because I remember talking to Billy Horn a couple <laughs> of years back and he comes up there too. So it's always yes. fun to, to see the, uh, the through lines on it all, uh, there. But I, I guess because you've been very generous with your time and I do appreciate it. And I especially appreciate you being understanding about the, the tech issues here. I only have a couple really left to, to hit. Sure. And, and sure. one of them is, is there any like one player in particular that you remember seeing at maybe a workout or a tryout or just generally in the wild while you're, you know, scouting that you said, I really think we should sign this guy. And it just didn't happen for whatever reason, whether it just didn't fit the team bill, didn't fit the financials, whatever it may be, just that guy didn't get signed. Was there ever the, like one guy that, you know, was kind of the, uh, the white whale, if you would. You know, I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, I'm sure there is. I'll, I'll tell you what if I, what if I answer that question with, with a question? All right. Um, there's, what if I take, now I, I did work with the Seattle Mariners for a couple yeah. months, 2012, and yeah. there was somebody that the Boulders had that I wish Seattle would have taken a look at that eventually uh, went to the Mets and was pitching in AAA, Jonathan Velasquez at the time. Oh, okay. um, you know, but, but I mean, obviously, the first part of it, yes, I'm sure there definitely were over the years. Um, names escape me. I, I, yeah. I will say, I will say that Velasquez is somebody that I remember writing reports and begging the, the, my boss in, in Tennessee at the time to come or have somebody grab this guy Velasquez and, and at the time who was pitching for the boulders before I was involved with Rockland um, in, yeah. in the beginning of 2012. And he had been there. He had been there in 10, uh, sorry, in 11 as well, their first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just never, they just never did. Um, and the point of that was, it was great to see, that the Mets, I believe, at the time gave him the opportunity. And then he went to the, you know, uh, came back to the Atlantic League. The Boulders had him at the end of his career as well, uh, one more time. Uh, but 
yeah. you know, it there is a frustration to, to go back to your original question. Yeah. That you know, it does happen. It it happened a lot more in the beginning because I think I kind of would get myself all revved up that somebody was going to come yeah. with us and make an impact. And then when it didn't happen, I just didn't understand it. And, yeah. but that's, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the game. I mean, w- somebody in my position is not going to be someone that is going to, uh, anybody's going to really remember, you know, that yeah. much as far as eyeballing people. But I think it, it helps when, you know, I get to help a manager grab somebody that I saw that I talked to that to me, that's the reward when you drive home, that's the biggest reward. And I enjoy that part of it a lot, trying to help out, putting my stamp on something to know that at least we covered another player because I saw it or bumped into somebody or simply got a phone call, um, which, yeah. which happened this year happened. So, yeah. you know, um, but I think it's, you raise a great point. I mean, there's a lot of frustrations with that for anybody that's in the, in that scouting position because you are, you don't have the say, you don't have the yeah. signing power, the juice, but yet at the same time, you do have eyes and you do have ears. And so, you know, yeah. how do you react, how you react to them not signing the player is very important. And, and that's where you have to make a decision and see where that goes from there. You know, yeah, I, I absolutely get it because I know there's a lot of guys that we point out on this show, whether they're playing. I'm like, how is an affiliate team not picked this guy up yet? It just makes no sense to me that he's he's still an option for a team. I get that a lot. And then there's other guys that, you know, they wind up, they get cut from for whatever reason from an unaffiliated team. And then. You know, I'm like, how is he not being signed? Like, this has to be the player just doesn't want to be. Like, there's got to be something more to this. Like, right. one guy right. in particular, I remember from the American Association a couple of years back was uh, Troy Alexander. And I was like, he oh, had yeah. such a good rookie year. And I believe it was St. Paul. And yeah. then he yeah. didn't do, yeah. yeah, then he didn't do as great with Sioux Falls. And I was just like, it, what I saw here, there's still enough here to be worth one more shot. Like, someone oh, has yeah. to. Yeah. Like, yeah, one of the best pitchers I ever saw yeah. uh, uh, in, in independent ball. Maybe the most dominant performances I had ever seen was from Alexander. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he spent time with, with Bobby in Sussex. He was with, uh, um, if I'm thinking of the right, Alexander. I think it's the same one. And he, uh, he that's No, that that one's the pitcher one who wound up getting picked up by Philadelphia, okay. I think. Yeah, I'm, I was think, I was talking about a uh, an outfielder there. He's oh, an a, outfielder. Yeah, he was a okay, rookie okay. outfielder. He Got was it. right out of college, jumped right in. He hit, like, if I'm not mistaken, high 270s, 280s. And he looked pretty good. He was a decent fielder, mm-hmm. decent, yeah. decent base runner, too. I was like... There's enough here, but the problem was then St. Paul became affiliated, and then he right. wound up going to uh, Sioux Falls, and that's right. always a <laughs> going to yeah. Sioux Falls is always a coin flip as to what you're going to get. There's guys right, that do right, really right. well, like uh, Wyatt Ulrich, and there's other guys that don't do as well. So right. I was just like, right, I was thinking he has to be one, but yeah, no, oh, oh what was that, Alexander? I forget the the Alexander you were talking about, the pitcher. I forget his first name, but I do remember him. He was he's a he lights was- out pitcher outstanding yeah. outstanding and and just was you know shades heads yeah. above the rest in that league um at oh, the yeah. time and uh you know i remember seeing a pitch i mean i saw a bunch of them but i remember seeing him once against us in sussex i mean car just carved yeah. i mean absolutely you know did things that you saw people on tv do you know what i mean yeah. i mean this, this guy this guy came up with different angles and different and they they had 
And, and it was, you know, I saw him do this against a couple different teams. I mean, the fact is, this is what makes somebody like that special, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to go back to what you said, yeah, it's it's weird. You know, there's a lot of different. You wonder how sometimes the draft, the guys get missed, yeah. you know, and it just happens. And, you know, we'll see guys coming to to the workout in June that are Division two guys. Say, this kid can play. Yeah. I mean, this kid, you know, given an opportunity, this kid can throw and he should be somewhere if not here. Um, you know, uh, but, yeah, it's it's you know, you just never know. And, and you have to be uh, keep the eyes open. And, and, you know, but in my case, it's important that. You know, no matter what I think, I have to understand that it's not my call, you yeah. know, and uh, and that's something I learned over the last, you know, X amount of uh, seasons that it's it's just important that you keep that in mind, because otherwise and this is where, like, I've had interns who who all of a sudden think they're super scouts yeah. and they're, you know, and they're making comments. I had a, a, a young man a year ago when yeah. we started doing that and I had to shut that down fast because yeah. these young kids have no idea. They have no experience in in this league, nor an independent, and you have to keep that in check. It's not yeah. fantasy baseball, you know. Yeah. This is you're playing with people's lives, and you're playing with with salary caps and import. This is all real. This is not oh, yeah. something that is on a com- a computer screen, and and that's it, you know. Oh yeah, that's the one thing I always see. It's obviously more prevalent with major leagues, but on any sport, you always see the few people that they just pretend like they're playing a video game or something, and that that's right. the one thing that's always forgotten is the real life impact that. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, they drive cross country for this opportunity, fully aware that, you know, as mm-hmm. easily as they got it, they could be gone. Like a week from today, if they have a bad streak where they go two for 12 and they don't look particularly great in the field, they can be given walking papers and just now they're stuck 10,000 uh. miles, a thousand miles away from home with no real options except for yeah. hopefully yeah. I can catch on. And once you start realizing that this is, you know, you're playing with people's lives all of a sudden right. the stakes start to become very real very quick and that you know we could do one day a whole nother show about the about stories like you just mentioned because that's something with the tryouts i remember seeing so many times over the years of, of exactly what you just said so many crazy stories you know guys sleeping in their car and uh, and the sacrifices they made to come out to different workouts so you know i agree um you know i not only ours i've been to a number i mean the, the Newark Bears and the Bridgeport Bluefish and all these different teams that are, are long gone, yeah. you know, going to their workouts and seeing different things. And, and, you know, it's, it's really how you, it's really important because what you just said, nobody sees that stuff, you yeah. know, nobody sees that. So, exactly. um, yeah, it's, but, it's, it's just crazy to see. I know I've gotten emails from people before saying, you know, I, you know, I was in, you know, whatever for two or three years I've been bouncing around a while. All I want is a shot. And it's like, you, right. and the guys that are doing, honestly, the guys that travel the 500 miles just for the tryout are the ones you're almost rooting for the most. Cause you could tell yeah. they yeah. want it. They, they're dead serious about this. The guys only have to travel, you know, 20 minutes up the road and they're just like, oh, you know, it would be fun. It's like, you know, I hope you do well, but you know, the other guy that's been at this for like seven, eight years, Go and bust the bus, league the league, just looking for a chance. That's the guy, you know, you're really rooting for. I, I can tell you, I can tell you quickly, yeah. and it's a short one, that um, we had a young man come from Salt Lake City one time, uh, Jamie Keefe's manager. I'm going to say it's around 2000. Uh, actually, it was in 14. It was it was uh, yeah. the year we won the, the, the championship. Uh, 
You know, there was that other year we were up by a couple games, two two nothing on Billy Hornhorn, and Billy would Billy will laugh and tell you the story, yeah. and and they came back and win three with Ottawa and beat us. But yeah. I'll never forget um, this this pitcher came out, and I said to him, I said, listen, don't forget, you do have to have um, for that. It was the July, it was the July June or July yeah. workout we run, and I said you got to have a ticket to go the other way, and he said I'm not going back. And sure enough, this yeah. young man makes the team. Yeah. Um, through absolute smoke. He had been with, I think, Helena, okay. I think, uh, the Brewers' uh, lower chain at the time. And eventually, I mean, was just awesome and an incredible guy. I wish his name escapes me at the moment. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But I will say he um, eventually succumbs to a shoulder injury and hangs it up. Um, just misses us winning the championship. He would have been a key uh, cog in the bullpen at the time. But yeah. I will say that uh, – there's a guy that said, I, I don't need a ticket going back because I'm not going back. And I'll never forget that. I, I, I've joked with him, you know, on LinkedIn every once in a while. I, I'll send him a message and, and he laughs and says, you know, uh, I, I'll never forget that. And it was th- that kid saying that and he did come and he exactly did. I mean, that's almost impossible oh, to yeah. say what to, to, to and <laughs> he, takes he was some able balls to do that. To do that. <laughs> it was it was. Uh, and, you know, here he is saying that and he came for, flew out here from Utah. And he didn't. He was right. I mean, he didn't go back. You know, uh-huh. so, you know, right to the dorms or host family, he went. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But, yeah, uh, you know, you, you've you've uh, jogged my memory and, and uh, brought back so many uh, old faces and, and, and years, to, you know, talking to you today. I really... Uh, uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. I really did, you know. I know. It, this was really fun to do. And I guess... Uh, before I give the five minutes to to wrap everything up, the only question I've left because I don't know if it, he was a U signing or a manager signing or before you got in there, but Cardulo, I had to bring up probably one of the more better known uh, Rockland yes. Boulders. So I, anything you have on that one, I have to ask about because when you have a guy like him sure. that plays for your organization, I'd be remiss to not ask. <laughs> well, J- Jamie keeps ears must be ringing, but yeah. Jamie Jamie brings him in. You know, Jamie had a Frontier League um, past. He yeah. had been in the Frontier League, so he had experience there, knew managers really well. And, and so he, I remember him telling me, we're bringing in this kid, Steve Stephen Cardulo, as a backup. And uh, we weren't even sure if Steve was going to make the team. Yeah. I mean, we were deep in the outfield, and he went from maybe not making the team. Jamie will tell you the story, yeah. too. You know, us watching him on the big screen as he rounded the bases in Colorado with the Rockies. Um, so that was, you know, I wish I could tell you that was Jamie. And, yeah. and uh, you know, he was that reserve guy he was bringing to spring training. And, and he said, this Cardulo is going to be all right. But I remember him saying something like that to me. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the rest is history. Um, you know, never had I seen anything like him and what yeah. he represented and what he did and and uh the work that that guy put into i mean look you got to have the baseball pedigree as far as ability i mean nobody you know i could i could spend all the hours he did in in the cage at 11 o'clock at night on a saturday that doesn't mean that i'm going to be going off to play for the marlins the the fact of the matter is that he also had the 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 inside stuff and and you know god bless him i mean that the sacrifices that guy made to do what he did was on i mean i wish i wish you could see and and the audience could see what preparation this guy did before and after the game and i only knew that part of it the off season god knows what he did and how hard he worked um but uh i i i miss where i i got to see him again when he was with high point okay um, yeah 
and I get because I visit when High Point goes into uh, Long Island. I go to, love to go and say hi to, you know, to uh, Jamie and and Frankie Viola and 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 you know his staff. Billy Horn was there at the time, yeah. uh, and and so and uh, you know uh, Albert Gonzalez down there too. Oh yeah, as we well. talked to Bert too. He's a real nice guy. Great guy, yeah. um, up and coming baseball guy. Great guy, yeah. and so anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, Steve's. It's great that you brought that up because Steve doesn't get enough credit for what he did. He really doesn't. You know. Yeah, he's one of those guys that you know. It's a mixture of the talent and the work. They, when it's both there, it it produces the results. So, yeah, yes. I, I I had to mention it, and I'm sure I could go around and around listing off names and just going back and forth with them. But uh, again, right. you very generous with your time, very understanding about the technical issues. We had to do this in two parts, so I appreciate that a lot. Uh, Absolutely. As is customary around here, uh, we'd like to give five minutes to to our guests to say anything they want to say, promote anything they want to promote, uh, go back to any topic we may have touched on briefly and not talked about enough, or if there's something we didn't get to that you wanted to get to, uh, anything like that, uh, the floor is yours to do so. Oh, thank you. I, I won't take all five. I will say, um, obviously, thank you so much for having me on and, and uh, listening to my, my ramble today. I uh, I really enjoy talking baseball, and, and I know uh, you know somebody like Bubba Birdsong would love to be on uh, one day your, your, your program as well. I, I guarantee that. We'd love um, to have him, certainly. Yes, yes. Um, but again, you know, I'll, I'll plug our work out as, as, you know, I know that the office is going crazy uh, in preparing uh, different things also for the workout. But May May uh, 14 and 15, which happens to be Mother's Day Sunday and that Monday will be the May workout. That's the first mm-hmm. one. And the uh, June 17 and 18 would be the one for the college grads and free agents at the time. Mostly college grads will be there. So that's coming up. Um but uh, definitely, you know, for players out there, take a look. As far as, you know, people getting involved in the game, the, the, the Frontier League, uh, you know, is, is really, really um, underrated. Uh, yeah. it, the talent that's in this league now is unlike any year before, I'm sure, because I saw it last year and you, you saw guys that were, you know, uh, we had a pitcher that ended up getting drafted, you know, uh, the, so did, so did uh, you know, Pete and, and, the boys up up there in uh, you mm-hmm. know in upstate New York there he had a uh, rocker who was on his team as well you know the talent in, and the managers are unbelievable um, you know in this league and I I, uh, I enjoy it from from a work standpoint but I enjoy it as a fan standpoint too um, that if, if if you get a chance you know go out to Jersey go out to Sussex go out to, to Rockland and catch catch these games this year uh, I can speak on Rockland's behalf as you know, it's a great kid environment and they do, they work their tail off all year round, you know, and they just had an Easter egg on a thousand kids there the other day. Um, they got so, up to a thousand. I, I knew about the, the hunt. I always see it on social media. I didn't realize they got that many people. Yeah. Yeah. They had a wonderful turnout. My, uh, and it was, uh, Mike Howard, who's one of the, yeah. the boulders, uh, who was near, newly signed yeah. was there, uh, working with the kids. Oh, so nice. it's kind of cool, but, uh, yeah, no, I want to thank you for having, putting up with me and, uh, my rambles and having me on today uh, was great talking baseball a little uh you know i got spoiled and all of a sudden it was june and july in my head there for a minute i I had to remember it's still april you know pinch myself it's we're going back to the 50s and 60s next week so um but thank you so much nick and for and and you know and to will as well who who uh 
you guys do wonderful things throughout the season, and I hope to see you, you guys pop in. Hope to do it again, too. I'd love oh, to be absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and definitely we'll have you back on. Hopefully, again, either closer to opening day or closer to that June tryout, and we're certainly sure. going to go ahead and toss the links to all those. We'll toss them in the show notes, and I'll try to do my best to remember to put them in the description of the show this week, so that way, if you're interested, you can just click the link and go right to it. So, uh, you can go ahead and sign up right for that there too. And I know personally, I'll definitely make a point to get up there and I'll have to pop over and pop in and say hello. And, you know, we'll go through all that. And, uh, yeah, no, definitely. We appreciate you coming on and appreciate the kind words as well. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I'll end with this. Yeah. I have a, uh, a talk and baseball group here in, in North in the Montvale area. Okay. We have, Older gentleman, I mean, one guy's 92. Uh, okay. He can recite the 1938 Yankees lineup. Unbelievable oh. stuff. Yeah. But um, we would love to have, you know, you and Will someday uh, as guests in, in, you know, our once a month meeting here in, in Montvale, New Jersey as well. And we can talk about that off the air. But, um, yeah. you know, definitely enjoy talking baseball. And, and anytime, uh, you know, I'd love to sit down with you guys. And, and you guys do a wonderful job. So uh, on behalf of, you know, myself and the Boulders, thanks so much for allowing me to come on here this afternoon and, and talk baseball with you guys no doubt absolutely like i said it's our pleasure and i'll have to take you up on the uh, on the baseball meeting too it sounds like a good time absolutely absolutely thank you no for coming on the show definitely interested to have him back on later on in the year like we mentioned in the interview i thought it was very good thought it was very informative and as always we learned a lot about the scouting process there so, uh, yeah, that's about all we have for the week. Uh, so I guess we can go to the plugs if we have nothing else. I don't think so, no. All right, so yeah, we'll go right to the plugs. And, uh, yeah, if you want to find the show, you can find it on social media, at Twitter, IndieBallPod, uh, Instagram, ALPB underscore news, and at uh, IndieBallReport. Uh, likewise, you can find the show on just about any platform that you get podcasts on. So that's Amazon Music, that's Tune in, it's Stitcher, it's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, all of those platforms you can find the show. So rate, review, subscribe if you can. If you find want to find links to anything like the tryouts we mentioned just now in the interview, uh, you can find that both in our description and on the show notes on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, be sure to take a look at all of that. And so with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? Well, uh, for the first time uh, in, since in my, I guess, in my conscious sports fan memory, because uh, we got the Celtics game, too, at the same time as Devils-Rangers. Uh, obviously, Devils-Rangers a big deal on this show. Yeah. So I'm excited for a, a very, for what should be, uh, I mean, which obviously we're both on opposite sides of it. But at the end of the day, I think we both know it's going to be a, a terrific hockey series between two really good teams. So uh, I'm very, very excited for it. Very excited to get to get it started. And we'll see if the infrastructure of the uh, New York metro area can survive whatever result comes out of the uh, first round of this series. Yeah, uh, definitely there. I care about it a significant amount. I thought I was being punished last year with Duke UNC. You know, I really thought, and I'm hoping all the punishment I took from that 
uh, has produced goodwill this year. And it's honestly one of these situations where, at least from the Ranger perspective, you know, you're concerned about like Carolina in round two would not bother me in the least bit. I, I have zero yeah. concern about Carolina. Rangers in five, yeah. if that's the case. Um, Boston, for as good as they are, and they are an extremely good team, they feel beatable team. They're a good team. They're better than us at the moment, but they're not unbeatable. So I'm not that concerned about it. Tampa, I feel, is beatable. I mean, God, please let it be Toronto in the conference finals. Okay. That's the case. I mean, God, that, we're just going to skate on that. I mean, at half speed yesterday, we practically beat them. And it took two goals getting called back. So, like, uh, I'm, I'm very I'm very safe with everybody else. I just, New Jersey's the one team where I'm kind of spooked of because they're a very fast team. They like to play a certain way, and you can't really up the tempo with them because they can hang with the tempo. So you have to slow it down. You have to turn into trench warfare, which I think we yeah. can do. And I think if it turns into trench warfare, not only do we have the bodies, but it comes down to goaltending. And I bet the farm on Igor over Vanatek. Of course. I, yeah. I bet that. I mean, one's a vest, not one or the other isn't. But yeah, so there's that. And I mean, realistically, you look at the West. There are two teams in the West I think can actually put up a fight. One is Dallas just because Jake Ottinger. He's mm -hmm. a he's a freak of nature. And the other is Edmonton because Connor McDavid is one of the very few players in the National Hockey League I'm deeply afraid of. Because he's, he's just so, so much better than the West. Yeah, it's not so particularly close. Like I said, like no. the only thing that keeps the West somewhat interesting is McDavid and the fact that quite literally his season was better than a video game. Like if you sim a full season in any NHL game, McDavid maxes out at like around 100 points. Dude had 153. It's, that is, that's, that's it's not insane. even words to describe how incredible that is. Like Jack Hughes had 99. <laughs> the best part is like the leaderboard is like McDavid at 153, Dry Settle at 124. Yeah. And then there's a chasm of everybody else that's roughly in the same boat, like within five points. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this dude's a cheat code. Like, what the hell? A 60 goal season and he puts up nearly 100 assists. Like, what, what, what is this? The 80s? Mm -hmm. This Gretzky crap, which again, when Edmonton inevitably fails in like the conference final, I will have zero, zero disrespect to McDavid if he asks out. I will 100% get it and understand it because Edmonton's wasting his talent. Someone needs to go get him, just not anyone yeah. in the East. <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine what the return on that would be? It depends. If McDavid wants to play it like the NBA does, where he's like, I want to go to one of three teams and I won't accept the trade anywhere else. Then, I mean, the return is going to be less. But that's the problem with trading for Connor McDavid, though, is what you have to give up to get him inherently makes you a worse team because you don't it have to. It essentially turns you into Edmonton. Probably worse than Edmonton, no? Pro yeah, because you won't have to drive. So it depends. I mean, like, if it's a team like Pittsburgh, then no. Because, I mean, then you're running, like, Crosby McDavid as a one, too. Like, what the hell is that? Um, but the teams that would benefit from getting him don't have the resources to get him. Like, who could reasonably get him in the East? Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, they have the assets. Yeah. I mean, just... I, I think that, I mean, and, uh, and I, 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 I'm not saying that I think this is going to happen. Yeah. I think the Devils, the Devils definitely have the assets if they wanted to make that move. Do you have the cap for it, though? Um, 
because you'd have to move pieces and Meyer's well, getting an extension. Well, I, I guess that that would depend on Meyer, like which you know obviously the, he hasn't he he likely will get an extension, but he hasn't gotten it yet. So I guess we'll we'll see on that front. I know it's far, I'm not even really thinking into the off season very much yet. Yeah, it's just like I just think of that because it's like Connor McDavid, the King's ransom he could get. Because there's really, I don't think there's a single player I wouldn't trade to Connor McDavid. No, because he's not. he's just so much better. It's just, oh my god! You know, part of me just pictures, like, and the the sad part is there was definitely a point in time where this wouldn't be that much of a pipe dream of a of a possibility if there was like a line of Panarin, McDavid, and Kane. I would enjoy that immensely watching that. There's a lot of there's a lot of things and I know this is all a hypothetical yeah. discussion, but there's there's a lot of things that have to happen. To, I mean, Edmonton still we'll see what happens with Edmonton in the Western Conference playoffs this year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I predict conference finals loss to Dallas for them. Okay. Yeah. Like I feel like it's boring to say that's just like Dallas Boston as a final, but I could very well see that being the final. The Tyler Sagan Bowl. Yeah. Please set the Louis Erickson Bowl. Because <laughs> Louis Erickson fits the culture. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, th- regardless, though, going to be a lot, a lot of fun hockey going to be played over the next couple uh, couple months. So Absolutely. And it's going to be very nerve-wracking uh, for a long time. But Yes. That's all we got for you this week. This is nearly two hours long. I don't have any idea how long it's actually going to be, but we have two hours worth of audio to go through. And it was a, an adventure recording this week, so I have to solve that in the next seven days before we do this again. But until then, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>